it's been different this year now that there's more pressure and pressure from myself to like do as well as I did last year. Exactly. Um, but at the end of the day, like we're trail running and I love getting out and just running in the hills around town. So I just always have to remember that that's why I'm doing it in addition to the competition. Um, yeah. So it's important for me to like always keep it fun and like make sure I'm running with my friends or biking or like running up some peak I've never done before and always, always keeping it like adventurous too. I think, yeah, that's a big challenge. Welcome or welcome back to the Vertern podcast, Running Long. I'm your host, Francesco Puppi, and I'm a professional athlete for Nike and also a Vertern coach. Today's guest is Adam Peterman, a professional trail and ultra runner for Hookah from Missoula, Montana, in the United States. Before this conversation, I was joking with Adam about how it took a world champion for a guest to make the second appearance on this podcast. And that's actually true because Adam is the current trail running world champion as he won the long trail race at the last edition of the championship in November 2022 in Thailand. Last year, he had an incredible year as he went from being a relatively new name in the sport to winning Canyon's 100K and Western State's 100-mile endurance run, of course, one of the most iconic events in our sport, and of course, becoming a trail world champion. That's pretty good for someone who was at his debut in both the 100k and the 100 mile distance. In this episode, we discussed how Adam's life has changed after his incredible 2022, how he balances being a pro athlete with his other occupations, how he deals with expectations and outside pressure, what it's like to work with an agent. We also go into details of his training, how he picks his races and his 2022 training data. We recently learned that Adam suffered from a sacral stress fracture during his build-up for 2023 Western States, and unfortunately, he will have to review his plan for the summer. So we wish him all the best and the quickest recovery, and we are certain that this experience will contribute to make him an even better athlete. So all the best, Adam. For those of you who are new here, Bertrand is the number one app for trail and ultramarathon runners of all levels. Our mission is to make trail running accessible to everybody and everywhere through affordable coaching. That's why all our coaching plans cost $25 a month. With your Bertrand subscription, you will get a personal coach who checks in with you each week to answer your questions, adjust your training plan, and keep you accountable and inspired. This year, Bertrand is the official online coaching for the UTMB Mont Blanc event and the Skyrunner World Series. This means that we have designed specific training plans for 14 different races by UTMB, including the UTMB World Series finals in Chamonix and all the Skyrunner World Series races. Discover more on our app and unlock your best finish ever with Bertrand. For those of you who want to give training with Bertrand a try, you can also take 30% off your first month of training using the code RUNNINGLONG30. So let's dive into today's conversation. Please welcome Adam Peterman. Adam Peterman, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on again. It's good to be back. Oh yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it 
took a world champion to to make the the second appearance on the podcast because no one has been uh appearing two times on the podcast um before oh, you dang. so <laughs> uh, i guess it takes a, a world champion <laughs> championship win to to be back <laughs> yeah that's that's what it takes that's awesome the credentials good yeah um i'm just in missoula montana that's where i live and uh, we had a pretty long winter, but the last month has been really nice and all the snow's melting and the trails are clear and yeah, it's great. It, it feels like spring. Awesome. So since I kind of started this conversation with, um, the memory from talent, uh, I want to start from that experience, um, which was not just about the race for, for us, because we had a chance to go to Bangkok and meet the prime minister of Thailand and walk around Bangkok eating guava and going to yeah. like the crazy mall <laughs> to find some yeah. present yeah. to bring home and then uh, like eating a really tasty and nice meal at that restaurant in, in Bangkok. So yeah. if you want to bring uh, up uh, a few memories, both from your race, uh, from your awesome performance and uh, from just what represented um for your for your career that experience and just what you enjoy about uh that trip yeah yeah going to going to thailand to race worlds was pretty surreal surreal experience um i i'd actually been to asia a couple of years ago uh, mm. my sister went to school in singapore and so we went to her graduation and watched her uh watch that and went on a family trip afterwards um but i remember thinking like how wild it was to be out there. And I remember th I thought I would probably like not go again for a really long time uh, just because it's so far away. Yeah. And then, yeah, we were back in uh, 2022 for Worlds. And, oh, man, it was it was so much fun. I mean, I've never raced internationally before. So it was great to just meet all these new people. And like the city of Chiang Mai just did such a great job putting that event on. Uh, the course was beautiful. I, yeah, just the whole experience was was top notch. And uh, yeah, you mentioned after after the race, a few of us got to meet the prime minister. And uh, yeah, what what a fun trip that was. We we flew down to Bangkok. Uh, you and I were it was it was mainly you and I being uh, taken around by the race director's wife. And yeah, we were walking the streets of Bangkok, just eating fruit, and she just kept buying us more and more bags of fruit. I remember, and yeah, we were just—it was like being treated like royalty. I mean, it was—it was so much fun. So I, yeah, I look back on that trip really, uh, really fondly. Yeah, it was—it uh, was pretty awesome. I, I also have a memory of my feet hurting so much because, like, the humidity um, was was terrible during the race, and my feet were in terrible conditions. So I had a lot of pain working around Bangkok, but it was totally worth and a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, for sure. I know that that race beat me up for sure. I was I was limping around for like a week after that one, but mm. it, it didn't really matter. It was kind of the end of the season. But yeah, yeah. I remember uh, walking around Bangkok and uh, then I went back to Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai for like the rest of the week. And mm -hmm. yeah, every morning I was just limping out of bed before I would like hit the city. But it was all good. Yeah. So... Um, maybe it's like a kind of a dumb question, but I I want to ask you because, you know, maybe people wonder whether your life has changed after Worlds, after winning a World Championship title. 
um, if it has by any means. So what's that experience been like for you? Um, yeah, I felt like my life definitely changed a lot after Worlds and then Western States. I, I feel like Western States was the biggest change because mm -hmm. up until that point, I I had done well in races, but I had I felt like I hadn't won or even raced like one of the one of the big ones. Um, like in my mind, it would be Western States or Worlds or like one of the UTMB races would be like I consider like the biggest ultras. And uh, yeah, so I feel like Western States and Worlds both both changed things a lot for me. Uh, fortunately, like within my community here in Montana, it's relatively small trail running community and we're all pretty close. So I felt like that didn't change. Like people on the trail or on the street probably still recognize me just based on the fact that I live in Montana and <laughs> am a runner here. But what's different is like I'll go somewhere else and now be recognized. And so that that's a lot different for me. Uh, but people are really nice. It's not, it's never like anything negative. I mean, yeah. our sport is still pretty niche. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine if you were like actually famous, like a, like a famous actor or actress and what that would be like. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different. Like, I mean, even going into worlds, I, I wasn't just like the underdog anymore. Um, but more, once Tom Tom Owen or Tom Evans uh, pulled out, I was essentially the favorite, and uh, yeah, that was different for me. I I hadn't like shown up to race that big and just been the favorite, but uh, yeah, I've just had to work on a lot of stuff. Just try to not like let the pressure really get to me, and yeah, always something to work on. Yeah, um, and you mentioned like the the impression that you get from you know general people um, in terms of like opportunities as an elite runner and sponsorships and contracts and stuff has that changed a lot after your west state win and 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 then after the world championship yeah yeah and that's that's been huge um mm -hmm. so i i was on a two-year contract with hoka uh that ended at the end of 2022 and yeah i'm excited I, i just signed a new contract with hoka for four years uh so i'm really happy to still be with them and uh, be with them for a while now. I mean, I, I never thought I would sign a contract that long with a, with a company like that. And, uh, no, it's great. Like I, I could be a full-time runner if I wanted to be, um, like no other work I've chosen to continue working the job that yeah. I have, um, because it's so flexible and part-time and I like it, but, uh, yeah, Hoka is, they've, they've taken care of me. And, uh, I also have an agent now through the Santara group And that, that's been kind of a new thing in the last month or so. Um, but they're, they'll be looking to try to find me like other media opportunities and other sponsorships that I wasn't really able to get on my own. So yeah, it's a little different in that sense, but my, my day-to-day -day life is still quite similar. That's good. Yeah. That, this is something that I want to touch on later on in the conversation, because I think it's important and um, developing your figure as a professional athlete is you know being a relatively small sport is something that I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out um so maybe you're like leading the way in 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 this sense and giving an example to some athletes I hope um and it's something that I'm interested in in learning myself too but first um I'm 
I also wanted to to stay a little bit longer on your wild 2022 because everything happened so quickly, like from the Chakanet record um, in the spring to your 100K debut at Canyons last year and your win, the decision to go to West Estate, which was like right before we had a, a conversation on the, on this podcast, which, which no, was, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I think precisely one month, one, one year ago. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the West Estate win, the very conscious decision not to go to CCC uh, at the UTMB finals because you, you wanted to focus on the world championship and you were probably still very tired after West Estate. Mm -hmm. um, so can you maybe talk a little bit in general about your 2022 season and like obviously it's it's easy to look back and say it was perfect because you won every race and like from the outside mm -hmm. it looks such a great season and you won you won the ultra runner of the year award so yeah. of course it's a great recognition um but maybe for from from your own perspective um there is something that you want to add yeah yeah it was crazy i mean it really was like a dream <laughs> season for me uh and I don't know. I just, I didn't expect to win them all. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope it's something I can keep the momentum building and <laughs> for, for more years, but I do understand that 2022 might've been like a really special year. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, you ran right through it. Like, uh, yeah, Chuckanut and Canyons. That was a Chuckanut 50 K is a competitive 50 K here in the U S in March. And then Canyons 100 K uh, was a month later in April. And uh, yeah, my, my plan actually all along had been to do Canyons, um, try to get top three there to qualify for CCC in August. And so, yeah, I, I pretty much like that was the plan all along. And I was training for Canyons as if it was like the last race I would do in the spring. I would take a break in May and then build for CCC. But yeah, kind of like as Canyons got closer, some of my friends here in, uh, in Montana, uh, I distinctly remember we went out to this, uh, went to get a drink or something. And my, my buddy was like, dude, if you win Canyons, you're going to like turn down your golden ticket to Western States. <laughs> like, I know you won't. And I was like, man, I will. I, I'm going to turn it down. I'm going to do CCC. And he's like, no, you, you're going to go to that course and you're going to love it. You're going to crush it. There's no way you're going to turn down the ticket. And I remember that was that was a little bit before Canyons. And that, that kind of made like entered a planted a seed in my brain where I was like, yeah, he has a point. Like maybe I will do Western States. Like, why not? Um, and so yeah, I ran Canyons. It it was a hard race. I mean, I I was leading with David Sinclair through yeah. mile 35, and then he actually dropped me and put a bunch of time into me, and I didn't catch him again until mile 50. Um, so there was a good, like two hours there where I was pretty sure I was going to get second. Um, but fortunately I was able to catch him at mile 50, end up winning the race. And yeah, I just remember right when I finished, I was like, dang, like maybe I do want to do Western States. <laughs> and I think by that evening I'd made up my mind that I was going to do Western States, but I didn't really want to say it publicly because, you know, you run, you run a hundred K, you don't, you don't know what your body's going to feel like. Uh, you don't know if you're injured or what's going on. Uh, 
so I ended up taking like five days off of running. And when I started running again, like everything felt fine. I wasn't injured. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to do Western States. And uh, I don't know. It was, I think to maybe an outsider's perspective, it just seemed like I was that that wasn't planned or anything like that. But I feel like it's really important to do the races that you want to do and that you're excited about. And it was very clear to me that the race I was excited about was, was Western States. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, in the broad scope of things, 2022, I, I really didn't expect to win Western States. Um, I thought if I finished, I would be like top three, but given that it was a hundred miles and like 40 miles farther than I'd ever run in my life, I knew there was like definitely a probability that I might go out too hard and just kind of, uh, blow up and not finish. So yeah, uh, all in all really surreal and uh yeah it's funny i don't i don't know necessarily like what i did to get to that point but going forward now i just i'm trying to just continue doing the same things that have worked for me in the past and not think too hard about all of it yeah <laughs> well definitely the the risk was high but also the the chance of reward was well was also really high so um, it was worth and uh, it paid off um and i think at some point in an athlete's career, it's worth taking the risk and follow your passion and instinct. Um, of course, providing that there is a, like um, a meaning behind and um, that you know your body can sustain those efforts and that there is like yeah. a, a, stru a technical structure also behind because it's not like we put on our mind to just go to a race and not train for it or not be prepared mm -hmm. uh, it takes a lot of work a lot of planning and uh, and fine-tuning so yeah I, absolutely i think it I mean, was the same for you i mean even after like you said um like there i was i signed up for western states i run that um and i guess i still did have a, a ticket to run at ccc i could have run there but to me that felt kind of it just didn't feel like the right choice uh given that i'd run a 50k a 100k and a 100 miler it just made sense to shut down yeah. the season and I, I mean i felt no pressure from anyone to do ccc oh, uh, uh not from my sponsors or uh no no one um and so yeah after western states i mean i took like an entire month off of running and training and yeah that was perfect uh yeah, yeah so i appreciate that from from hoka that they didn't like tell me to just turn around and go to go to ccc yeah, exactly. You know, because even being sponsor, the main sponsor of UTMB, it's easy to imagine that they would push you to to just go there and and try to do your best at that race. But they didn't, mm -hmm. so it shows that they care about the athletes more than their performance, which is which is good. Yeah, totally, um, totally. And focusing a little bit on the World Championship, it seems like. Like the overall perception that I've got uh, since Thailand is that Team USA and the whole World Championship um, race and experience is gaining a lot of traction and interest among the elite runners and also the media. And that's something that's always been very overlooked and like not really in the center of the attention of many athletes who historically have prefer to to go to other races you know whether that's mm -hmm. utmb or west state or the golden turtle series or other big private circuits 
Um, what's your opinion on that? Like, why why is this happening, and why, since Thailand, it seems that, you know, there is a renovated interest for for the World Championship. Yeah, you know, I've I've noticed that a lot as well. Um, when I think back to, like, five years ago or ten years ago, and there were the World Championships of Trail and Mountain Running, uh. It just didn't seem as like hyped up as it is now. Yeah, not as and, you cool. Know, you know, now is uh, is very is very cool to say, "Hey, I made a work yeah. team and I'm going to the work championship, and my sponsor is happy and yeah. I'm excited." <laughs> and, it's, yeah, it's really cool to see. Uh, yeah. It's a cool time for us to be in the sport and uh, be a part of it. But I feel like a big thing that happened is that the world athletics like took it over and combined it because it, it used to be the trail championships and the True. mountain championships. Yeah. And I think it's great that they just combined it. They've made it be these four disciplines and I wouldn't say it's like standardized, but they, I don't know, they kind of boiled it down in this, this thing where it's like one big weekend or one big week of trail running. And I think that just makes more sense to people mm -hmm. versus having a, mountain running championships and then a trail running championships in a different location um yeah and then as far as like team usa it's it's been cool like it, it seems like usatf which is usa track and field in our country uh it just seems like they're more invested in it than they mm -hmm. used to be and that's just kind of what i've heard uh since this was my first world team but uh yeah, like, I mean, our travel was paid for to get there. And, like, we had a whole staff of volunteers who were there to help us at the aid stations. We had a medical volunteer, like, people organizing the whole trip. And I don't know, all that stuff just makes a big difference. Um, so we can just focus on racing. Yeah. Uh, and then I got to hand it to some of my uh, teammates on the ADK. We called ourselves Team Visor because we all wore... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, USA visor <laughs> in the race. Um, but gosh, I feel like some of those guys, especially Jeff Colt, uh, he was our third man that day. Yeah. But Jeff's done a great job of just like shouting from the rooftops how much fun and what an amazing experience it was to be at Worlds. Um, and I think that's taken off. Like a lot of a lot of trail running media in the US has had him on their yeah. on their podcast or exactly. interviewed him and uh I feel he's like crushing a lot it this of, year. Like he's a doing lot of people so well. are following it. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of us now we're actually doing Western States this year instead of Worlds. Uh, but I think all of us want to want to race Worlds again in like 2026. Um yeah. but yeah, no, it was uh it was really cool. And I mean, like I said earlier, I I had the expectation of when we went to Thailand to race, I was I had no idea what to expect with the course. Like I figured we'd be running through the jungle. I didn't know what the trails would be like. I was I was really worried I would get lost for some reason. And <laughs> that was the that was the best mark course I've ever run on. Like there was never a question. Nice. And yeah, I got to hand it to like Thailand and the World Athletics for organizing that cuz it was just top notch. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, in my in my experience I've run a few world championship both in mountain running and in trail running um there is some guarantees when the organization is uh like overseen by a federation like World Athletics or ETRA or like the 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 championship in Thailand was like a joint collaboration between the WMRA and ETRA and World Athletics. So 
Um, I think the plan is to bring everything under World Athletics, but to use like the knowledge and the sort of influence that I have on the sport, um, both the World Mountain Running Association and and ITRA, which is the International Trail Running Association, because like World Athletics doesn't have a proper like trail running sector mm-hmm. inside itself. Totally. So I think that's yeah. what I did. Um, but it's, Did- it's interesting, it's interesting from my point of view to see how the attention shifts from, you know, not caring so much about the world championship to being a really top event that maybe yeah. is comparable to Western state or UTMB or other big races, which to me, um, really makes sense. Like it's, it's what I wanted to see, like five, six years ago when I came to the sport and I thought, okay, uh, I'm a trail runner and the world championship must be like the top event. And then I realized that it was not like people yep. didn't care about it that much. And now it's yeah. the, the attention is shifting. So from my perspective, it is something really good to see. Uh, yeah, happening. it's pretty cool. And I hope, I hope they, I hope they find like a good time of year to always do it. Exactly. Um, whether like I, I selfishly i'm bummed that the world's is this june versus mm. like the fall again because i'm running western states but i also understand that western states is like kind of its own thing and yeah. like a very american event but if you if they were able to coordinate with the timing with the utmb weekend yeah and then have the world's uh and then even like golden trail for people running shorter distances yeah i feel like those three can really be like the most competitive races in the world for for trail running and then i mean you'll you'll always have western states and hard rock and uh like these other hundred milers or ultras that are competitive but if you're talking about like the most competitive races in the world i, I feel like worlds has like entered that equation and and uh yeah i hope it continues That's to be that way because yeah that was really good for the sport and just so cool for all of us yeah yeah i mean it's it's easy to have some overlaps in the calendar with so many events and so many circuits and, you know, um, some, some events that are like championship and are organized by institutions and some others that are private. So I think there will always be overlaps. And this is actually something that we want to work on with the Pro Trail Runners Association, like to put some more clarity and transparency and, just establish a better calendar and trying to coordinate between all the different events to really maximize the potential uh, of the sport and like what the elite runners can, can race. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think there is also this fact that since this year, uh, the world championship will become uh, like every other year. So the next one will be in 2026. So you know, for example, for people who want to run Western State, it's possible to do that one year and the, the year after focus on, on the World Championship. Um, yeah, yeah that's totally. In June, you know. So I feel like having a World Championship world championship that is every other year, like in, in track and field, leaves room for, for the athletes to go to other events, which are still very important for the sport and the uh, Mm-hmm. You know, we're a, a peculiar sport where 
the tradition of some events has made the history of trail running. So mm -hmm. it's I feel it's important to preserve that together with um, the necessity of an established and recognized world championship. So to keep that balance, I feel uh, it's, it's probably important and good for the sport in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think once, yeah, I agree with you. Once it's uh, on that every other year schedule, I think that'll open it up for uh, people to be doing things like, yeah, Western States or hard rock, like in the off year. And yeah, yeah. It's tricky too, because these races just destroy you. I mean, yeah. like it's, it's so hard to turn around after running an ultra. Like I, mm. I think of even worlds like a, an 80 K. So it wasn't, it wasn't that far, but I was like unstructured training for like six weeks afterwards. Wow. Um, and so you really have to pick and choose which ones you're doing pretty carefully. And, uh, yeah, but that's all part of the puzzle too. It's, it, I feel like it's just, that's the downside is I think it's hard as a fan of the sport when, uh, like you have these huge lists of people who will be showing up to race and then like a bunch of them pull out or, uh, get injured from like their race before, but that's just kind of the nature of it. Yeah, exactly. That's what also makes it different from track and field where you can just go from one meet to the other and mm -hmm. you know, race a bunch of 5k during the year uh, in ultra and trail running. You have to pick your race pretty carefully because they require a lot of preparation, but also in terms of recovery, they're, they're really hard. <laughs> so yeah, talk, yeah totally. talk, talk a little bit about the importance of recovery, like how, like, when do you know you're ready to get back to training? How do you, you know, you decided to take six weeks off of, of, or unstructured training afterwards. How do you make that decision? Um, I think it's yeah. a, it's an important part of training that is often overlooked. So I would love to get some insight from you. Yeah. So I, fortunately I have some great uh, mentors within the community who have been in the sport for a long time. Like, so Mike, Mike foot was a, yeah. or is a North face athlete who's been at UTMB multiple times and been the top American, I think three years in a row um, back in uh, like 2010 and that era. But anyway, he's, he, he's had a big impact on my life and uh, always talks about like the, the benefit of not over racing. So I feel like that's kind of been hammered into me is like, it's important <laughs> to you do your races and then uh, take, take time off afterwards or whatever. Um, so yeah, like after, after Western States and after worlds, I definitely took, yeah, like four weeks off or six weeks kind of unstructured training. Um, I think I base that off of you, like you have your race and it's over then like, I need to know when my next race will be. So like world was in November and I knew my next big race wasn't until Western States. So I have a ton of time, you know, November to June. Um, so I just figured I would take, you know, a few weeks off of running start running again if I felt healthy. And then this, actually this whole winter, I was mainly skiing, like skate skiing yeah. and or Nordic skiing and some uphill skiing. But I feel like that unstructured time is important. Uh, I just kind of yeah. do it. I usually do it for a few weeks. And then if I feel like I'm ready to maybe write, write a program again, I'll, I'll do that. But it is a lot by feel. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and same with same with western states like uh i finished western states i knew i needed to take time off of running after that one um i mean that that was pretty gnarly i i wasn't even able to run after that like i i was running so heavily on my right leg for some reason that my my calf was all messed up it was like red and swollen after the race um like i actually didn't run for five weeks after that because i essentially injured myself during the race uh but yeah like anyway western states finished i knew worlds was in november so i figured i'd had like i could take a month off and then start training again uh very gingerly and uh then have like a good block in the fall so i feel like i i build that recovery phase in like based on when the next race is Mm -hmm. um but then like this year it'll be different like I'm signed up for Western States, Sierra Zanal, and CCC. So I probably can't take July off of running if I want to have any hope of doing well at Sierra Zanal and CCC. So, yeah, we'll see. Like, uh, Western States is the end of June. Hopefully I take a week off, and then my hope is that I come out come out on the other side of Western States healthy. But, man, you never know with that kind of stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting game with ultra running because you're, you're pretty destroyed afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and I think the key here is to remain very flexible um, because, like, it's easy to put pressure on yourself to bounce back as quickly as possible and get back to training because you know that your next goal is going to be quite soon. Um, mm-hmm. Like in the case of Serzinal after after your 2023 West Estate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's impossible to predict uh, before the race you just have to see how you feel and how the race goes because you might yeah. end up you know having a great race and bouncing back very quickly but yeah you never know, know. you, you never know might not happen. happen so you might need more time and yeah it's i think one of the hardest decision is to decide not to go to a race actually which mm-hmm. I think it was like a very mature decision that you made last year uh, with uh, with CCC. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, in my experience, it's never easy to say no, uh, especially when you've, when you have already made some plans and you, people like expect you to see there and you told your sponsor that you're going to do this race mm-hmm. and to say, yeah, no, totally. it's, uh, it's, it's, I find it very hard to, to change plans, but that's, probably one of the key thing that you know an an athlete of your level needs to to do in order to stay healthy and have a long career i think but yeah it's yeah i agree it's it's not easy um it it is really hard i mean even like i was i was supposed to run the canyons 50k uh, a few weeks ago here in april yeah, I was excited for that race. I mean, it's a it's one of the majors now for UTMB. So yeah. uh, it's a North American major. It's competitive. Um, like Hayden Hawks was going to be there. Um, a lot of my friends from Worlds were going to be there. And so I was just excited to see everybody. But yeah, with the way my leg had been, and I just, I just felt like doing a fast 50K would just injure it again. And so... Uh, ended up not racing but it was a hard choice like and I know exactly what you mean like it's not how it used to be for me when I didn't want to race like like for example in 2020 I was signed Mm -hmm. up to do the Pikes Peak Marathon and like two weeks before the race I just 
didn't feel fit at all, wasn't running well in any of my training. And it was COVID was going on. And I was just like, man, I, this isn't going to happen. Like, I, I don't want to do this race. I think I'm going to do really poorly. And uh, so I just emailed the race director and say, hey, I'm uh, sorry. I'm like dealing with this Achilles injury and like, I don't feel ready. And he's like, yeah, sounds good. Sorry to hear. And then, you know, for canyons now, now that things have like uh, gotten a little bigger uh, for me, like I'm emailing Hoka, I'm emailing uh, like the social media guy at Hoka, my manager, my agent, uh, different nutrition companies I was going to meet with at canyons. I was going to do like this UTMB podcast thing. And mm. I looked at the list and there were like 10 different people I had to email to let them know I wasn't doing the race. That's a lot and, of pressure, you know, it's yeah. But then again, like everyone was so nice. Everyone's mm. like, oh yeah, no worries. Like Western States is the big one. Like, don't worry about it. But, you know, when I think about it, it, it felt like pressure for sure. Um, but I do appreciate like everyone understood and no one was, That's no awesome. one gave me a hard time about it. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, I was reflecting on how a lot of times it's like we kind of expect this pressure from the outside but in it's it comes from it actually comes from ourselves like in yeah. the end when we have the courage to talk to people and to say hey i need help or i i cannot go to this race because i'm not going to make it most of the times they're going to be totally okay and supportive and open to to discussion and like not putting any pressure on you but a lot of times I find myself expecting um, like a tough response or some kind of, yeah, like I feel like I'm letting people down by, by saying no or just showing some kind of weakness. And yeah, it's definitely something that I struggle with just yeah. as like having to deal with changing plans and restructuring my goals and like changing my mind or mm -hmm. also like reconsider your training philosophy and just put yourself into discussion. I think mentally it's, it's never easy. Um, so I, I really appreciate the people who open up about this and, um, and have some, something to say about it. Do you want to mm -hmm. add something? Yeah, no, that's, I, I appreciate that too. And, uh, I will say, like, uh, that's one thing I've been impressed with. Um, like, the the main guy I talked to at Hoka, his name's Mike McManus, but he's our, uh, he's essentially, like, the, he's in charge of global sports marketing. So he's, he's, uh, who's, he's who we report to with anything related to, like, our race schedule or plans or injuries. And um, I have appreciated talking to him because even though he's, like, the man in charge, he'll always tell you like, uh, like your health is a priority. And I, I, what he breaks it down is he's like, Hey, when you make your season, you should just make the first half of the year and see how that goes and then make the second half of the year. And so like when he's, he's talking like for a trail runner, that might mean for me, like, all right, I make a I make a plan through Western States and then that's it. And then if I feel like I have the legs to do UTMB, I'll do that. If I don't, I won't. And I've appreciated that from him. Like, you know, I, of course he wants his athletes to do really well and like crush all these big races, but he also realizes how hard they are on you. And uh, I like that philosophy. Now, I will say last year I followed that philosophy. This year I've made my entire schedule be condensed around the summer 
So mm-hmm. it is Western States, Sierra Zanel, CCC. So I guess I didn't follow his advice for this year. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, I have appreciated his, uh, yeah, his sayings with that type of stuff. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, staying a little bit on the mental side of training, what is the hardest thing that you have to deal with related to training? Oh, I feel like my, I feel like my greatest challenge now is, uh, I think it's, I think it's easier to climb to the top than it is to stay on the top. And I feel like that now, um, because I try to emulate all the things that I've done to get to this point and like keep my training the same. But I also understand that there's, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of people who want to have the same results that I had in 2022. And I want to keep having the results I had in 2022. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of times lately, I, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, like maybe I'm not running enough or not putting in enough hours. Uh, maybe my long runs aren't long enough. Um, so I feel like in training the things that, yeah, that's probably my, what stresses me out the most is probably just like doubt. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I think I do a good job of like not kind of putting the blinders on and not, not really paying attention to that too much. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's been different this year now that there's more pressure and pressure from myself to like do as well as I did last year. Exactly. Um, but at the end of the day, like we're trail running and I love getting out and just running in the hills around town. So I just always have to remember that that's why I'm doing it in addition to the competition. Um, yeah. So it's important for me to like always keep it fun and like make sure I'm running with my friends or biking or like running up some peak I've never done before and always, always keeping it like adventurous too. I think, yeah, that's a big challenge. Yeah. That's super important. Thanks for sharing. It's a, it's a great tip that I will try to, to listen to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do, I do try to do uh, every month I try to do a, a peak or a summit that I've never done before. So that's been good to always do something different. So you don't just like completely get stuck in the routine of training and yeah. all these uh, metrics and numbers. I I do try to do that once a month. And I think that's been good for me. Uh, it's just like you get this adventure day. Uh, and that's like a huge reason why I even do this sport. So yeah, that's that's been a good little practice of mine I've been doing for like three years. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's like it's it's so easy to tie our identity to the fact that we are athletes and we have certain results and we expect ourselves to always be at that level. Uh, but mm-hmm. in the end, we have to remind ourselves why we do this this running thing. And ultimately, we started because we just enjoyed running, enjoyed being out there, uh, the nature and the mountains and the trails. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if your background was in running track and field as well when you were younger, but like it it was. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed track, but I was really excited to like actually be trail running after I was done with track, um, trail running or hiking or whatever, just being more, just being more in like wild places versus like running around the oval. Um, And I think that's like just always good to remember uh, now that I'm like 
getting paid to trail run. It's kind of like uh, just a dream job. Uh, and so I think it's more important to remember that, yeah, I'm like trail running and I chose to do this because I love it versus versus like all this pressure from competition. Um, yeah, so that's been important for me too. Yeah. Um, do you like, and, and then the results are like comparison with other athletes, which is easy because, you know, it's, it just, we just need to open Instagram or Strava to see what other people are doing. And it's easy to compare ourselves with even the best athletes, you know, Jim Wamsley or, or Killian. Oh, and yeah. a lot of people do that. And a lot of people compare your, yourself as to, to what Jim did, you know, when he won Western state or yeah. Yeah. Some people will say, Hey, uh, this, this year, uh, schedule of, of Adam looks kind of similar to what Killian did last year because he went from hard rock to Sierzinal to mm -hmm. UTMB and you're doing, you know, Western state, uh, Sierzinal and CCC. So long, short and long race. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think I think it's also easy to get caught up in that comparison loop, which um, it's good until it's not. You know, it's yeah, it's tricky. Like yeah, it's tricky. I, yeah, I love Strava because a lot of times <laughs> you can see like what people are doing, and uh, I felt like I learned a lot from Strava, or I, yeah. I still learn a lot from Strava of like what athletes are doing, and it's a great tool. Uh, yeah, yeah, like I since I coach myself, I felt like I did a lot of research on Strava on like certain athletes and stuff, um, especially a few years ago, but it's, yeah, it's tough too. Cause you know, like, uh, I don't know if I saw this on Strava or Instagram, but like Tom Evans posted that he'd averaged like 140 miles a week for the last three weeks. And, you know, I felt like I'd been doing pretty well doing like, like about a hundred and then with some biking on top of that. But I was like, man, 140, like that's, that's it's pretty good. Lot. But I don't know. At the end of the day, like the person I am on the start line of Western States is just who it's going to be. And so like, I can't really control what these other guys are doing. Uh, so that, that was helpful for me to think in that way. But uh, yeah, it's tricky because all these tools are supposed to be like connect us all, whether it's Strava or Instagram. Um, but yeah, when you start comparing in the negative light, sometimes it's best to just not look at them. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Running Long. In this quick break, I just wanted to share with you a message from one of the athletes that we coached to Bertrand named Emily from New Zealand. Emily won the St. Clair and Lochmere Trail half marathons this winter. She says, I can't quite believe my year of running. 44 years young and never faster. Middle-aged running is so rewarding and I'm grateful to have the health to do it. We were really proud to be able to coach Emily and watch her progress as an athlete. This is just one example of the progress that our athletes have had thanks to Bertrand. Emily is an explore athlete who trains with our $25 a month coaching subscriptions. If you want to try out Bertrand Coaching too, remember that you can get a 30% discount as a podcast listener with the code RUNNINGLONG30. Let's get back to the podcast. Talking about Strava, I was spying your training log from 2022 and even the last few weeks of your training. And just to share some data, in 2022, you ran for 512 
hours, about 5,500 kilometers. So that would be okay. 3,400 miles with almost 6,000 feet of elevation gain. That would be 1,000, uh, yeah, one, sorry, 180,000 mm. meters of elevation. You did 130 hours on the bike and 120 hours on the skis. So that's almost mm. 800 hours of training. Um, mm. You know, and I, I was also looking at my numbers and kind of comparing it a little bit to to you. And of course, my my training philosophy is a little bit different also because I, I didn't train for a race like Western State. Um, I, I'm still on the sub-ultra distances. Yeah. So of yeah. course, my training is different, but... It's interesting to to see what other people are doing and comparing the different training philosophies and yeah, just like what other really good athletes are doing. Um, can you like, yeah, just starting from here, what is approximately like your, your training philosophy and, uh, you know, 800 hours of training in a year is is a lot um how important do you think is to build a good aerobic base um and like how much of that volume is divided between like easy intensity and mm -hmm. hard and uh yeah just how do you distribute your uh training load yeah i, th I think for me uh volume has been really important just like consistently being high volume um with the with the emphasis on consistency yeah. uh you know like i always think back to when i was in college i was i felt like i was training really hard but i was really inconsistent you know i would run i would run with the team and i, I was running in colorado at the university of colorado um, for track and cross country and i would run like three weeks of a 90 mile week but then i'd be injured for like three weeks and then i would like build back up and it would just be like this constant cycle of like dealing with an injury, taking time off and just in that loop. Um, and so even though I felt like I was training, it was probably the least fit I'd felt since like my days running in high school. Um, so, yeah, like once I started actually training for trail, like intentionally, like in 2020 and 2021, um, I definitely put an emphasis on just being consistent so what a thing I haven't done is like, I don't, I don't usually run over like a hundred to 110 miles a week, but I usually try to get 20 hours of training like every single week, yeah. unless I feel really bad. Um, so like, that's, that's kind of been what I've been doing the last, like since worlds is, uh, I shoot for like a 20 hour week, uh, if it works and if it's just, if I don't feel good, then I don't do it. Um, so it usually ends up being like, I'll do like three to four weeks of 20 hours a week and then I do a down week and then do that again. So it's, I do write the training, but I've, I try to do a good job of like giving myself the flexibility. If things aren't working, I'll like pull the plug and like rest. Uh, so it's, it's felt good. Like, you know, and most of it's really easy. Like I, I don't do that much intensity and now that I'm looking towards Sierra Zanal and even CCC, like that's something I'll start incorporating. Um, but yeah, just mainly base, base volume, uh, chill, chill hours. Uh, 
like if I'm training for a race, I'll, I'll probably shoot for like, yeah, about a hundred miles a week. Uh, mm -hmm. but if there's no race on the calendar, I'll, I'll just do, uh, less than that in terms of running and usually more in terms of biking and skiing. So, uh, it's awesome. I mean, you end up spending a lot of time outside, uh, especially this winter, it was a ton of Nordic skiing and, uh, a lot of uphill skiing too. And yeah. yeah, it's, I don't know, it's been a good philosophy for me, but yeah, emphasis on hours, emphasis on, uh, trying not to, not to force it as well. You know, if I don't yeah. feel it, I won't, I won't do the 20 hour week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to give you, to give an example, uh, just by looking at the last four weeks of your training log, you averaged between 17 and 22 hours of training, uh, with 160 kilometer of running, which is hundred miles and mm -hmm. 14 hours and about yeah. 15 thousand feet of climbing um yeah makes sense about 75 miles of cycling which is five and a half hours and um basically no skiing for the last four weeks yeah, no but, skiing. everything yeah, melted in, in 2023 you've done around 100 100 hours of training with the skis so mm -hmm. that has been a pretty consistent part of your training in the in the winter months it was yeah up until about march and yeah, yeah then shut it down yeah. Yeah. So I had two questions related to to this like typical weekly volume. How do you make sure um that the vast majority of this volume is is actually easy and that you're absorbing it well like without forcing it too much? And how do you incorporate cross training into like your base 100 110 mile week? Mhm. Mm yeah. Um, so to, I, I usually, I feel like I kind of just know the paces and what it feels like to run easy enough. Like I, especially running, um, yeah. I think I know just what it feels like to, uh, yeah, not, not be running too hard. Um, when I think of running hard, it's either like pushing climbs or I'm doing like a workout and like I said, I think, I think that's probably my biggest weakness is I don't do enough intensity anymore. Um, so like I'm about to start a whole block of doing like one workout a week, um, like some sort of uphill intensity. Uh, so I think, yeah, for me, it's just, I, I know what paces I should be running to make sure it's like easy enough, um, like low enough heart rate. Um, and then the other question I guess was, about cross training. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I usually shoot for like a mileage goal in terms of running. So like, like you said, if I run a hundred miles a week with 15,000 feet of climbing, it probably takes about like 14 or 15 hours on exactly. average. And so if I'm looking for like this 20 hour a week, I'll usually just try to go out for like three different bike rides. Um, and sometimes well, actually a lot of times lately, I, if I have a long run, I usually try to stack it with a bike ride in the afternoon. So mm. it keeps my long days like pretty long. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get like a six hour day cause yeah. I did a three hour run and a three hour ride, but it's not like I went for a six hour run, you know, exactly. like it's, it's pretty hard on yourself to go for a six hour run every week, <laughs> but I can usually do like a three and three combo with running and cycling. Um, so that's kind that's of how sure. I structured it. Um, so it still ends up being like, there's two or three days a week where all I do is run. 
and those are like my easy days. Maybe I'll go lift or something or sauna. Um, but on the longer days of training, I try to like stack it with a bike ride or, or with a ski, especially this winter. It was, um, yeah, no, almost no biking, just almost entirely skiing. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I was actually listening to a recent episode of the future trail podcast with Heather Jackson, who mentioned like she would do oh, wow. yeah, like yeah. massive days on the bike, like six or seven hour rides and then Huge, yeah. go straight into running like with a, oh. even a short session, like 30 to 45 minutes. But yep. um, to have a really big day with lots of cycling, but then a, a little like intensity stimulus, uh, by running and yeah to me that's that's really interesting because like you're not beating up your body as much as in a five or six hour run but you're still getting a lot of good endurance so yeah it's kind of I incredible was... yeah like i i just feel like our sport there's there's so many different avenues to become a good trail runner exactly that and maybe maybe this could even translate to road running and track running i don't know but uh it's kind it of feels like my mind yeah it feels like it for track and field and road running the possibilities are more narrow like mm -hmm. like you need to be running to you know if if you're shooting for a 206 marathon you need to be yeah. running at three minutes per kilometer pace for 42k yeah. and you need to build that efficiency at that speed for that long and I think it's it's very difficult if you're not running, but there could be some margin of improvement. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, the 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 carryover from biking. Um, yeah, and I feel very fortunate because like I just always grew up kind of mountain biking and stuff around my my hometown. I lived next to a lot of trails, and uh, so that just like became kind of a part of my like recreation and what I like to do. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, seeing all these people who are like incorporating the bike into their training for, for running, it seems to be working really well. Yeah. Um, especially Heather. I mean, I even about two months ago, I was dealing a lot with this, uh, injury in my hamstring and adductor and I messaged Heather Jackson and was like, Hey, uh, I bike a lot and I can't run that much right now. Like, what do you recommend for mm. bike specific workouts for trail racing? And Yeah, she gave me all these great ideas. Uh, fortunately, right when she messaged me, my injury started getting a lot better and I didn't have to do any of them. But I do have uh, some ideas from her on, uh, yeah, just tough days where you combine running and biking. And it's yeah. uh, it's been working out really well for her. I'm, I'm stoked to see her at Western States. That's good. Yeah. It's good that we can support each other also um, as, as pro athletes. And um I've found myself in the same situation because a lot of my training this winter has been with a bike. Um, yeah. So I'm actually looking forward to see how that translates into running because I feel like I have a a good base uh, of like non-specific fitness, but it's still good fitness. So I'm very excited to see how that sort of translates into running for yeah. my summer season. Um I feel like you'll do great. I mean, there's a, there's a hill outside of where I live in Missoula called Mount Sentinel. Yeah. And we have a race up there. It was actually last week um, where it's just, the, it's called the Mount Sentinel Hill Climb, but it gains about, uh, I guess, 600 meters or 2000 feet 
in like uh, two kilometers ish, a, a little over two kilometers. So it's steep. Very steep. Um, but the best time I've ever had was I'd been injured and been biking and just running a little bit. And the best time I ever had was off of that. Like I was running wow. very little and I ran, uh, but I was biking hard uphill uh, a lot. And yeah, I ran 18 minutes and 30 seconds uh, off of that. And then last week, I ran, I'd been running, you know, 100 mile weeks, 90 mile weeks, uh, like big volume, but not a lot of intensity. And last week in the hill climb, I ran 1945. So I was like a minute, minute 15 slower. Uh, I think just, I think biking, I mean, I was fresh and aerobically fit. And yeah, I yep. think you can be really, really fit off of that. So yeah, maybe you lose a little bit on the speed side, but you definitely gain uh, a lot of strength, yeah. a lot of endurance. Um, so like maybe for like i would i would use the bike for like far from racing season like for the big base that you put together maybe yeah. uh in your first block of training like the winter months ideally um yeah and it's probably similar to what you do on on skis yeah. um and then get more specific at, as you approach your race goals um but you can definitely gain a lot of fitness on the bike so yeah there yeah. is different ways to get to the same result and uh, it's always it's always exciting to just combine all these different uh meaning means and situations yeah. And see. yeah it's a lot of fun you get to see a lot of different areas i mean at least for me the places i bike are a lot different than the places i run so mm, you know you, you have a day where you're like like if you go three hour run and three hour bike you're actually seeing a lot of seeing a lot of town and a lot of the valley i mean it's yeah they're good days yeah yeah um a, a question for like maybe so we are professional athletes so we have more time than the average runners but for athletes who are not professional and maybe they don't have a whole lot of time what would you suggest in terms of in terms of cross training and how should they prioritize running over cross training or the opposite yeah yeah, because like I if you don't I'm have lucky. 20 hours to yeah. train in a week and you have just maybe 10 hours which is okay and you can still mm -hmm. do a lot um you have to prioritize things so yeah i would say if you don't have a lot of time i would think uh your structure would be more i, I would think you would do a little bit more uh intensity for your runs you know yeah. you'd do you'd probably end up doing like a couple workouts during the week uh, when you're working you know something where if you have like a 90 minute chunk of time, yep. uh, you, you could do like a higher intensity session and more quality. Um, and then after, after work, I suppose you could get on the bike or, or something like that. Um, but I would think if you have limited time, I think, and you're training for running, I would think running would be the priority. Um, but like oh, on, on the weekend or on your days off, I do think, you know, if you're going to go for your big long run, if you're able to like, hop on the hop on the bike for like an afternoon session or or something mm. like that um yeah i guess i'm i'm lucky because i do have uh like a lot of time since i just have a part-time job but uh yeah i would think if you have limited time yeah quality is more important uh and running would be more important as well yeah. but like if you're if you're looking for a winter off season uh skiing or or cycling if you don't have snow where you live i mean i think it is really important to actually have a time where you're running very little 
yes. and just, you know, you're getting aerobic fitness through something else. But, uh, I think it is important to have like a couple months there where, you know, you're just not running very much. I think it's, I think it's really good for you. Yeah. Both for, for the body and the mind. Um, totally. Yeah. 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 It's still, you're stoked to get back at it exactly. and run more after that period of time. Yeah. yeah. You have to feel that fire, that desire to, to train and put yeah. in the hours and the workouts. Um, and if you totally. don't have that, it's going to be hard to, to oh, yeah. it's gonna, and to, to do well. It'll be a long season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also I, I want to add, um, sometimes for like recovery cross training is the best option. Like when you're really tired after a race or a workout, you can just jump, jump on the bike for one or two hours. And that's great. Yeah. It's, it's way better than doing nothing. And, um, it's, it's better than just it sitting has on less the impact than running. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yesterday even, uh, I ran, I did like a three and a half hour run and then I was going to see if I wanted to go for a bike ride in the afternoon, yeah. um, to have like a double session. And I, I don't know, I was just really tired after that run and, uh, didn't really want to bike. So I just biked for an hour, like along the river, uh, and didn't go hard at all. And like, I felt a lot better afterwards. Like it's exactly what you said. You, you usually feel a little bit better after just like spinning the legs a little bit. Yeah. Um, last question related to training is about strength work. So you mentioned that you occasionally go to the gym. Um, yeah. What's your opinion on strength work and just going to the gym? And do you think it's useful for your preparation and for, you know, any trail runner looking, looking to improve his or her performance? Oh yeah. I, so I've been going to the gym like w probably twice a week, uh, for the last few years, but, uh, mainly it's mainly injury prevention stuff, but okay. man, it's, it's been huge. Um, yeah, I just do a set of like four or five different exercises and I, for me, it feels like hot, heavy, uh, like high weight. Um, so high weight, low rep, simple. Yeah. Um, and I'm targeting, you know, I'm targeting my calves because I have a history of Achilles injury. Uh, and then I do squats and deadlifts and some lunges. So I'm just, you know, I'm only in there for like 45 minutes, but I've, I've loved it. I mean, I just keep it really simple. Uh, and it's like completely geared towards injury prevention. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, once I start running a lot more, like, like now that I'm running about a hundred miles a week, I'll go to the gym maybe once a week. Um, but like in the off season, it's, it's been great to do it twice. Um, but yeah, I think it's been super helpful in keeping me healthy. Yeah. Do you, do you maintain that throughout the season or will you just stop going to the gym for, as you approach the, the races? Of the summer. I, I keep doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it's like the week or two before the race, I guess I'll uh, like do a lot less uh, weight. So it's a yeah. lot, a lot easier, but no, I try to, I try to keep it going um, through the whole year. Uh, my, my PT thinks, well, my PT is, he's healed me on like four of the injuries I've given him. So he's, he's four for four and uh, he really emphasizes doing this routine like once or twice a week. So I kind of put all my trust in him. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing a lot about your training. I think I think it was a deep insight into how you plan and structure your your training, which is very interesting to me. Um, thank you for for being so detailed. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it used to be I didn't used to write my training at all, and it was just like I did what whatever came to mind. And after the last couple of years, it's gotten more and more structured. But 
yeah, it's important to not be too structured because like you said, you some days you just roll out of bed and it's not going to work. You're not, you're not feeling it. So you have to be willing to be a little flexible as well. Exactly. Awesome. Um, I, I wanted to get back to something that you mentioned early on in the podcast, uh, which is the fact that you're now working with an agent. Uh, and I think this is interesting because not many trail runners uh, are working with agents nowadays. Um, but yeah. as the sport becomes more professional, we're probably going to start seeing more managers and agents in the sport. How's why did you make that decision and how it's been working with an agent so far for you? Um, and, yeah. you know, if you just want to share anything about your experience mm -hmm. that may, might be useful to other professional runners or even agents yeah. that might be listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so I actually, uh, I didn't think I would ever have an agent um, after, you know, talking with Mike foot and other, other trail runners like uh, that I knew, um, but you know, this, the agent group reached out to me, uh, back in February and we had a conversation and I was pretty upfront. I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to learn more about what you guys do. Um, but pro I, I was pretty clear. Like I, I didn't think I wanted to do it. Um, because, you know, I'd already signed my deal with Hoka that was set. Uh, but after talking with them, it was, it was pretty clear to me, like they, they just wanted to help, uh, you know, like they, they do take a small cut of uh, like every deal they get you, but mm -hmm. like their goal is to get you media and other sponsorships to help you out. And uh, yeah, I really appreciated that. I mean, I think, uh, I think because I, I do have like this part-time job on top of being a professional runner. So I felt like my time I didn't have a ton of time to just always be like seeking out other sponsorships outside of Hoka. And if I was able to just put that onto my agents and just uh, let them roll with it. And then I, uh, uh, and they like negotiate it, like that seemed like a pretty good deal to me. So I ended up going with them and yeah, it's been great. Like they've just been talking to other companies and they, they organized this podcast here today a yeah, little bit, exactly. you know, they got us, they got us connected. Um, and yeah, they've been super professional, super helpful. Uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, like it just, it just seemed like I'd been running at a high level for like three years and the only sponsorship I was able to get was Hoka. Um, and I think negotiating just probably isn't my biggest, like my strongest, uh, character or my, my strongest, like thing in my character <laughs> element. Yeah. Uh, and so if someone else is able to do that for me, then, uh, that's, that's great for me. It takes a lot of stress off my plate. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do think the same, um, a lot of times we just don't have the time to, you know, reach out to sponsors and find the right yeah. contact and talk to people. And maybe once we have found the right contact to, to negotiate a, a fair deal, it's not something that every athlete is able to do because, we like we're athletes we're not supposed to be marketing people <laughs> so yeah, totally to yeah, totally. delegate that to someone who does that for a living i think is is great uh especially if the they actually understand the sport and they know who you are um mm -hmm. 
what are your values, uh, your priorities, the races that you're doing, and just the the whole environment of trail running. Because yeah, I think so far one of the problems has been that, you know, maybe some agents have tried to come from track and field and see what they could make from the sport of trail running by working with some athletes. But if you don't understand the sport, you're you're not gonna find any value, I think, or yeah you're not going to be helpful to, to any athletes. So you have to be specific to, to what you're doing and the people you're working with. Yeah. 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 It's, it's cool. I mean, uh, I, I feel like for agents in uh, track and field or road racing, that's really important too. Cause you get yeah. like, they get you into these races. Exactly. Whereas like, you know, we, I feel like as trail runners, we kind of just manage our schedule and get ourselves into these races or, um, like from my standpoint, getting into UTMB races or, uh, like Hoka things, we have a, we have an employee at Hoka who helps us with that sort of stuff. And so, um, that's not necessarily what the agent's doing, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just been, it's just been good to have that, that outside help. And, uh, I know Zach Miller, he has an agent as well. He's a a North face runner here in the U S and yeah, he's loved it. I mean, he was telling me they, they got him like a trip to, florida or something like he drove his bus to florida with his friend and stayed at a hotel and ran on the trails and he was like yeah it's great i never would have thought of this ever and the agent just like had this thing happen and i got paid and so anyway i think it opens the door for a lot of things that that we wouldn't even uh, consider really yeah exactly to create opportunities that's great do you ever think we'll ever like do you think we'll ever get to a situation where athletes get like appearance money from races like there is in marathons and track and field or like like in track and field agents play a big part of how the sport is shaped at a pro level because they decide who is racing where especially for marathons and you know the diamond league or the big Mm -hmm. track meets so i wonder if we'll ever get to a similar situation or if based on the evolution of the sport of trail running which has been very different from track and field and road running um will just end up in a in a different situation you know in cycling i don't think there is any appearance money but the sport is very mm-hmm. professional interesting so, yeah um, i want i wonder that too i mean yeah. i feel like the first step is what's already happening where it's like our our races are becoming more sanctioned and like we have these set of races now that we consider to be the most competitive whether it's like world championships or utmb or golden trail and then the next step is probably increasing prize money at those races yeah uh and i wonder yeah i guess it could go both ways like we could have maybe we'll have higher prize money and there will be appearance fees given out like to the top athletes but i don't know it seems like it seems like with the way the sport is and how we have so few competitions already, it's like races like UTMB are going to attract the best athletes regardless, um, regardless of like appearance fees or, or even prize money for that matter. Like people are, people aren't choosing UTMB because of prize money right now. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I guess to be determined, um, I guess I, does triathlon offer much appearance I, I'm actually not sure, but the, the yeah. prize money is, is pretty big. I was watching the PDO and 
you know, I know the, I was looking at some price money of, of Ironman races and yeah, I think they, they fairly reward the athletes for, for how big the sport is. And, mm -hmm. you know, we may not be at, at the same level yet. Like, um, it's easy to, it's, uh, sorry, it's, is a, it's not easy to, to have a clear idea of how big the sport is, like how much audience uh races get and just how many people there is in the sport of trail running because that plays a role in how big the market is and how much brands and uh, sponsors can spend at, for events and, and races mm -hmm. and athletes so i yeah, I I agree with you that like the next logical step is to increase price money at the races because right now um I think that most of uh what an athlete is making comes from their yeah. like base compensation and from mm -hmm. race bonuses. Yeah, totally. Which is good, yeah. but you know, I, I I always tend to see like price money as like an additional thing, like something that if you can get it that's that's great but you mm -hmm. cannot really rely on for like your your salary basically oh totally yeah. but to have a you know a big prize money would be a really good incentive for good competition and also to encourage athletes who don't have a sponsor mm -hmm. to go to these races and and just increase the level of the competition uh which i think it could it could definitely grow like we're not yet at a at a level where the sport is as competitive as it could be yeah so, yeah totally yeah i mean even like last year uh if i was an unsponsored athlete last year i would have made very little money because of yeah. prize money yeah um because only i guess chuckanut and worlds were the only races that gave me prize money mm -hmm. um but like within within my sponsorship, you know, like there's sponsorship, uh, payouts based on your performance. And so those like heavily outweighed any of the money that I made from exactly. the actual race itself, which is a shame. Cause I, I feel like that just makes it hard for, you know, someone who's not sponsored or I think of like me in, in, in 2019, you know, like, uh, I win the USATF trail marathon championships and I make a little bit of money from that. Uh, cause it's a USATF championship. But if I had been with Hoka at the time, it would have been like five times as much money, hmm. you know? And yeah. yeah, so it's just harder if you're, if you're not supported by a company for sure. Yeah. I mean, you have to invest on yourself a little bit uh, at the beginning of your career and oh, totally. be willing to take some risk and go to some races and try to do well, of course. Um, and yeah. then you get a sponsorship. Like it's, it's not the opposite, of course, but I do think that some more price money would be beneficial to to increase the level of the competition and just make the sport more fair for for the totally. elite. And I think like growing the elite side of the sport is is good for the sport as a whole. Like I I tend to think that the elite side of the sport is what should uh, like guide the whole development of the sport because. A lot of people get inspiration from what the pro athletes are doing and where they're racing and what they're wearing. So mm -hmm. 
Totally. It's a big, big part of it. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. A big it's fun for everyone to follow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's not just about marketing, but it's also, you know, from their personality and their style and the inspiring things that I do for the community. Um, yeah. I would like to think that that plays a big part in the evolution of the sport. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I, I do not agree with people who think that with more price money, um, that would be like, um, doping like of course doping is all, mm. is always a concern but i don't think with more price money it would be much worse than the current situation because like mm. of course we all want to push for a clean sport and more controls but that's regardless of how big the price monies are i think mm-hmm. um so yeah. there and there might be more doping control if yeah if there is more prize money as well exactly um, yeah, like as the sport grows, there should be more as well, which would be would be really good. Hopefully, yeah. Well, um, we've gone uh, maybe longer than we thought, but it's been a really interesting conversation and we touched on many interesting topics. Um, just a, a final question um, before we sign off. Um, can you suggest for our audience um some kind of content like a a book or a podcast or a video or a youtube channel that's that has recently inspired you for some reason oh man uh you know what was this is actually an older podcast but uh when mike there there's a an artist uh he's he's a singer songwriter his name is mike posner he's pretty famous in the u.s uh, he has the song cooler than me, which was really popular in like 2010. Um, or I took a pill in Ibiza. That's his song as well. Really popular in like 2015, but his podcast with rich roll in 2019, it was a really, really good episode. Uh, and I feel like it would be interesting for, uh, I think for us because we're trail runners and interested in adventure because here he is, he's this celebrity, uh, has like all the money in the world that he wants. And uh, I mean, he's very, very famous. Um, and he chose to just postpone his concert season and he walked across America. It took him like six months. Uh, and that's what the episode is about, is him about to walk across America. Wow. And uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I don't think they've done a follow-up since he finished. He's He's been on a lot of other podcasts since he finished. But I'll give uh, him a listen. Just, yeah, he talks a lot about mindset. Uh, and he's just, a yeah, it's, it's just not, not what you expect from this like international celebrity, mm. uh, to be a man, like so incredibly thoughtful. So that's, that's one of my favorite podcast episodes. Uh, yeah, I would, I would give it a shot. It's good. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely. Yeah. Uh, Mike Posner, Rich Roll. Yeah. I'll definitely listen to it before I become the next rich troll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's next. Yep. <laughs> Adam, uh it's it's been a huge pleasure to catch up with you and um it will be fun to catch up over the summer. We'll see each other for yeah. shares and all for sure and also at UTMB. Um, UTMB. Yeah. I haven't decided what race I will do yet, but uh I will definitely be there. 
Um, we wish yeah, you good luck the best it. for your preparation for Wednesday State and uh, just know that the whole Bertrand community is cheering for you. Oh, well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, good luck at Zagama and Worlds. I'm uh, bummed to not be there at Worlds, but my girlfriend Erin will be running the 80K, so I'll make sure she uh, says hi to you. Of course. I'll yeah. be also cheering for her. Yeah, that looks like that looks like a ton of fun in Austria. Those those courses look pretty epic. Yeah. Cool. We'll make sure to have some epic competition as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome, man. Well, I'm stoked to follow along and uh yeah, thanks again for having me on. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much for listening to our great interview today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player or by sharing it on social media, tagging me and Bertrand. We would really appreciate that. If you haven't already downloaded the Bertrand app, I encourage you to do so. There, you can connect for free with our trail runners of all levels in the Bertrand community in our in-app groups. You can stay in trail shape with our free workout videos and get affordable coaching for your next running goal for only $25 a month. Thanks again for being here today. Until next time, I'm Francesco Pupi. Thank you for listening to Running Long.